one announcement. Next Sunday, following this service, we will have a newcomer's thing. And it's what? What's it called? A meet and greet. Yes. Okay. And if you're wondering if you're a newcomer, then you are. If you know that you're not, then you aren't. So that's our definition of a newcomer. Uh, and it will be in the fellowship hall, and, and it will involve pizza and people. And so you actually get pizza, and uh, there'll be people there for you to meet, like yeah. pastors, Pete. Well, it's just all kinds of pa-pa-pa-pa-pa. Yeah. Uh, there may be pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Who knows? So anyway, uh, just but we do need you to sign up so that we'll know how much pizza to get for the people. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Uh, and that the, the sign up is in the uh, it's in the foyer at the uh, at the welcome center. Now, would you stand and let's read a passage of scripture together? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that is in your word. I thank you for the life that is in your word. Thank you for the light that is in your word. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that light would shine on our lives so that it can shine out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a picture of the Lord's Chapel at Granny White Pike and Old Hickory Boulevard in Brentwood uh, back in the day. This is... uh, from, I don't know, circa 1980, somewhere around in there. And it's the only picture I could find of an actual worship service there. And it was a place, let me tell you something. Uh, all, all kinds of stuff would, uh, would happen there. It was, it was a glory barn. We had big fluorescent crosses in the, in the uh, uh, ceiling. That's what the light, and, and it wasn't like, Oh, you mean a nice piece of art. No, we mean some fluorescent lights going that way and some longer ones going that way. That's exactly what it was. And we had folding chairs. And, uh, and, and so anyway, the guys standing up, they're serving communion. Uh, the, the guy at the, at, the, at the podium, that's me. I was uh, leading, leading worship back in the day. And that was one of the days, obviously, when we did communion and did not sing Father Abraham. And many, uh, and many sons during the communion service. Uh, but anything could happen there. One of, and churches all over the Middle Tennessee area owe a debt that they, most people have no idea uh, that, that they owe to that place uh, on a whole bunch of different levels and for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, one of the things that happened there was there was a period in time, uh, and, and I don't remember exactly when this was. It was, once again, probably circa 1980, uh, when we started doing monthly praise gatherings for various churches, well, anybody, really, who wanted to come. It was probably on Tuesday nights, because that was when their midweek service was. Uh, that was back in the days of midweek services. And uh, so... People would come from Gallatin, Columbia, Lawrenceburg. They would 
Murfreesboro. They'd come from everywhere uh, to these to this, this praise gathering. And it was, it, was, it was wonderful. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord would just really show up. You could walk in that place and just feel something really special going on uh, for about three months. And, uh, uh, and then it, it kind of started sliding off, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how and why. There were two things I learned as a result of, uh, of this monthly praise gathering and what happened to it. Uh, one of them doesn't really have anything to do with where I'm going in the sermon today, but uh, it's still something that I learned, and it is kind of, uh, uh, I think it's something good to know. Uh, there was one, what, what would happen is one church would be in charge of worship, one church would be in charge of bringing the word, one church would be in charge of whatever else needed to be done, ushering, whatever. And, uh, and that would alternate on, on other months. And one month, probably about three or four months in, uh, this guy got up to lead worship. And I don't know what church he was from. Praise God. I, I'm sure it doesn't still exist. But, uh, but he got up and he said this. He said, instead of planning, I just decided to let the Spirit move tonight. And I thought, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of was brought up in, in a in a culture that had a lot of this, you know, it was kind of like, okay, let's just, let's just see what, what God's going to do here tonight. Uh, and so the guy didn't plan and the spirit didn't move. And I also came to understand that that is often code for, I was too lazy to do any work. So if this doesn't go well, it's your fault. Uh, and so there is a, there is a place you can plan to the point where you plan the Holy Spirit out of something. Uh, but on the other hand, one of the things I've discovered is the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to move on Sunday morning. He doesn't just want to speak to the speaker when they get up to stand and, and, and get in front of people. He can actually talk to you on Thursday afternoon. He can talk to you at lunch on Monday. I mean, there's all kinds of places he can talk to you and will talk to you. And sometimes you usually hear a little bit better if you give him more time to speak to you before you say something. That was one of the things. Yeah, that was one of the, but it's a fine line. You know, you want to, you want to walk that line. Uh, one of the other things though, that I, that I learned, and this is what really killed it about four months in. And once again, I don't remember what church it was. I don't think it exists anymore. Uh, the, the, the pastor who spoke that, that night. I don't remember what his passage was because I don't think there was one. I'm not sure the Bible actually got involved in this. Uh, what, what he got up to say was, we got a problem down on Lower Broad. We got honky-tonks down there. We got strip clubs down there. We got prostitution down there. We need to go down there and, and we, need to, we need to claim that place for Jesus Christ. And so we did. Uh, I mean, you know, everybody was kind of like, I say everybody, I didn't go. But uh, there, there was a lot of, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. And so by the next month, a date had been set, radio spots had been recorded, interviews with local television had been done, banners had been made, and the march to claim Lower Broad for Christ took place. Uh, and so all of the honky-tonks were closed. All of the strip clubs are no longer there. 
And there's no prostitution on Lower Broad. Actually, no. The honky-tonks did quite well. I, they might have actually done better that night. I, you know, people are kind of going, I don't want to be on the street for this. Let me get in. But, uh, you know, and yes, the, the, the porn shops aren't down there anymore, but that was because the suburbs ended up being more profitable than everybody being concentrated on the lower broad. Uh, and I think, I think if you drive through Nashville, there's still a big sign about like world's largest adult bookstore or something. Uh, and I, I don't know, it's not lower broad, but it's close. Uh, however, it did kill the monthly praise gatherings. I mean, probably the month following the march, we had about half the number of people that we had ever had, and within two more months it was done. Stick a fork in it. Uh, last week I told you, when we take up the world's weapons, the battle is already lost. And that was part of the reason why that failed, if you will. But the point from this week is they were attacking the wrong enemy. It was like these people, these bar owners, these club owners, these, these women, they are, the, they are the enemy. Let's go down there and we're going to claim this thing for Jesus. Hey, look, guys, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You, you can claim whatever you want to. It belongs to him. It's his. It, it already is. Uh, our struggle isn't against people. It is for people. They are the prize, not the enemy. The enemy isn't that tyrant boss that you work for. The, the enemy isn't that, uh, uh, that, that gossipy co-worker who tends to, to stab you in the back from time to time or seems to be doing so. Uh, the enemy isn't even that person who, who really hurt you at one point, maybe even abused you at some point in the past. That's not who the enemy is. Last week I was, uh, I mentioned the incident where Peter went to, uh, went to, in the garden, took out his sword and tried to cut somebody's head off. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly uh, care for this picture, but it, it serves my purposes. Uh, Peter was not that old when this thing was happening, okay? And he did not have a, a gold circlet of halo around his head because this was not one of his finer moments, okay? All, all four of the Gospels mention this, this uh, incident, uh, but John does something that none of the other Gospels do. John names names. Uh, all the rest of them are kind of like, oh, one of Jesus' followers, you know, it's like they're kind of covering up for Peter, we, you know, guess, guess who? You know, John goes, it was Peter. <laughs> I know him, it was Simon Peter. I, I, yeah, he did it. But not only does he name Peter's name, he says, and the guy whose ear he tried to cut off is Malchus. Now, why would he tell us his name? I, I mean, really? Why? Uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm kind of speculating here, but I would suspect that the reason why he said his name was because the people he was writing to, some of them may have known this guy. And why would they know him? these believers 30 years later after this happened? Well, maybe he became a believer. See, Luke tells us that Jesus 
touched him and healed him. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but if somebody cut my ear off and Jesus came along and went, oh, here, let me put that back on for you. It's going to be fine. God loves you. I think I'd get saved. I want him. You know, I, I, where, where are you going? And, uh, and so I believe that that's what happened. Not everybody who is marching in Caiaphas' mob is actually a fan of Caiaphas. Some of them just, some of them just they're, maybe circumstances have caught them or, or they're in a situation where they couldn't get out of it or something. Or, hey, you know, you, you come with us. Where are we going? You come with us. You know, I mean, you know, not, not everybody who appears to be the enemy is the enemy or, or wants to be the enemy. And God, yes, He is able to take our misguided actions and turn it for good. Well, hallelujah. But I think He would rather us avoid the misguided actions and do what He wants us to do and function the way He wants us to function rather than come along and clean up our messes all the time. Now, I believe that would probably work out maybe even better than us messing things up for Him to clean up. And so we read today... Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Uh, the reason we're told to be strong in the Lord, and it doesn't, it doesn't say be strong. It says be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It doesn't say be strong in the Lord and get you some mighty power, your own. It says be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And the reason why it's in his mighty power is because of the identity of the enemy, of who, of who the enemy actually is. If we were fighting people, you know, we might be able to get it together. You know, if we were, if we were fighting, 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 you know, we could train and, and get better. Uh, that's not how we tend to do it. Although we also, we do tend to go, you know, maybe if I learn enough, I can win that argument with this person and they'll get saved. Nobody has ever gotten saved by losing an argument. I don't think, how many of you, you know, got argued into the kingdom? Okay. There's not even a joker in here, you know, who raised their hand on that one. Because that's not how it, that's not how it happens. If we were fighting against people, maybe we, we, we could be strong and stand strong in ourselves. Uh, Paul, uh, over in 2 Corinthians, uh, I was, I was, um, he was talking about struggles that he was having. He was talking about uh, struggles in the flesh. And we don't know what it was, a thorn in the flesh, whether it was sickness or, or a temptation or what it may happen to be. But, uh, but he asked God, he prayed for God to take it away. And God, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We were singing this song this morning and it really hit me what we were saying, and it was, it was, you've done great things. How could I have seen your strength if you'd never shown me my weakness? As long as we got strength, we don't see his strength. But it's when he shows us his weakness that we begin to see, we begin to see what, what he has, what, what, what he can do. The weapons that we fight with, I talked about this last week, the weapons that we fight with are counterintuitive. There is so much in the kingdom that is counterintuitive. This is, this is counterintuitive. When I am weak, then I am strong. 
That doesn't make sense on an intuitive level. And yet in the kingdom, that's exactly the way that it is. And it's not the only thing. Some other examples. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. That's, that's counterintuitive. Kind of go, man, I want, you know, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna grab for all the life that I can. And you know what? The more you grab for life, the emptier you get. And the more you kind of go, look, let me just lose my life in him, the more filled up you get. The more, the more, the more richly satisfied life becomes. Uh, the greatest among you will be your servant. <laughs> I, th- I thought, you know, the greatest among me would get comped to the Super Bowl. You know, the, great, the greatest among us gets, uh, gets upgraded on, on the plane. The greatest among us gets, 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 gets. Uh, not in the kingdom. As soon as you start get, get, getting, you're not great anymore. If you want to be great, you have to serve. It's, it's, it's a counterintuitive life. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, come on, man. I want to be the best. I got to train. I got to, I'm not talking about not, you know, don't train, don't work. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that is not the path to exaltation in the kingdom. It's a path in the world, but it's not the path in the kingdom. In the kingdom, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and in due season, He will lift you up. He will exalt you. It's, it's, it's a counterintuitive thing. Just one more. It's more blessed to give than receive. The world doesn't believe that. The world doesn't believe that at all. And yet it's true. Which would you rather be? The person going, hey, here, I, I want to bless you. I, I've, got, I've got an abundance in my life, and, and, and I want to, and you know, it's surprising who's got an abundance. In, the richer you are, the less abundant you feel. You know, it, 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 it's the poor people who will tend to go, hey, I've I got extra. Here you go. I know that because I grew up in a church of poor people. And that's the way, that's the way they roll. That's the way they, that's the way they function. Which is better, to be the person handing out the blessing or to be the person who's needing the blessing? It's more blessed to give and to receive. Yeah. The, the enemy would have us believe that, that, that somehow we can become strong enough to fight, but we, but we aren't, we could if we were fighting people, but but we take up the armor of God. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've heard sermons about the full, you know, put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the, the shield of faith, and, and, and all those things. And, and yes, yes, yes. But why? Why? We read it this morning. It's not take up the full armor of God and go forth and conquer. It's take up the full armor of God and you may go forth and conquer, but you need it so you can stand against the devil's schemes. Not against the uh, smarts beats muscle every time. I mean, it really does. Uh, and despite what movies and TV shows and books and and and. All, all this stuff would, would, would have you believe. There are very few people in this world who are actually out to get you. There are very few people in this world who are scheming to bring you down. And the ones that are, are sick. And the ones who think everyone is out to get them are also sick. 
The healthy place is in between. You know, the healthy place is where you realize yeah, they're, not, they're, not re- they're not really out to get me. And the ones that probably really are, they need more help than anybody, than anything. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, While there may not be people out to get you, there is an enemy who's out to get you 24-7, 365. Be sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He isn't really a lion. Jesus is a lion. He's a pretender. He's a a fake. But uh, if he can get you afraid of him, he'll get you. I mean, he, he is... He is able to actually eat your lunch if, you, if you'll play his game, if you'll, if you'll go there. We need to not be stupid enough, though, to think that we can take him on by ourselves. I mean, really. To, to think that we can... Uh, hey, he was an archangel, people. You kind of go, well, he's fallen. He was an archangel, people. And I believe it's Jude that says... You know, bold and arrogant people unafraid to, to speak against uh, uh, heavenly beings. So even, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with, with Satan over the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a, a rebuke against him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Strong in the Lord and his mighty faith. Lord rebuke you, Satan. But the devil is simply a bully. He is, he, is, he is a bully and he can be defeated uh, the way all bullies get defeated. James 4, 7 tells us this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. He will flee from you. Uh, it, it, it's not punch him in the nose, rebuke him, go after Submit yourself to God. Because if you're in this battle without God, then you, you're al- you've already lost. So you submit yourself to him uh, and, and then resist the devil and, and he'll flee from you. Uh, he's constantly looking for someone to devour, but he is a bully. And like all bullies, you know, once he gets some pushback, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be gone. Uh, let, me, let me tell you this, though. He's not just looking to devour you. He's looking to devour those people he would have you believe are your enemy as well. Because he's their enemy as much as he is. It's going, well, he really hates me. You know, I go to church and I tithe. Yeah. yeah. He also really hates the person who's never been to church. He also hates the person who is, is in the vilest industries that are out there. How many of you know people who are antagonistic to the gospel? You know people who are resistant to the gospel. But I'm talking antagonistic. I'm talking, you mentioned Jesus and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear that, cr- well, stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I mean, and, and kind of get in, get in your face and get back at you uh, about that. And we have a tendency to think, man, Boy, that, that's a hard case. I mean, they're, now that's an enemy. You know, I mean, they're going to, not only are they going to get in your face, they're going to try and stop you from talking to anybody else as well. 
Um, there was a guy who uh, taught here several times, oh, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago, a guy named David Alsobrook. Uh, David passed away a few years ago, went, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, he, uh, I don't remember everything about his teaching. He, uh, he, he was actually a little bit kind of woo-woo, but, he, but he, he was a good teacher. He'd bring some good stuff. And I remember one thing in particular, that he, one thing that just really changed my way of looking at stuff. He had an, I believe it was an uncle. He had an uncle who was antagonistic to the gospel, very antagonistic about it. And it just it grieved him, it grieved him tremendously. And he, uh, um, I don't remember the story exactly, but apparently he had, he had gone to, to his uncle. He lived in another town or something, and he was, you know, trying to, trying to witness to him, trying to win. And it, and it was, it was disaster. It was a train wreck. Uh, and he, and he just happened to be reading, um, Second Corinthians. Uh, how many of you ever just happened to be reading Second Corinthians? Yeah, I, I hope that that would be an experience for all of you to, you know, just happen to be reading and the Holy Ghost show up and go, have you noticed? He happened to be reading Second Corinthians 4, 4, which says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And something went off in his head, and he went, wait a minute. I've been, approach- I've, been, I've been approaching this thing the wrong way. I've been praying the wrong way about this. I've been praying, you know, God, break him. God, bring him back. God, you know, uh, do something. Uh, what I need to do is pray, God, open his eyes. He's been blinded. Can't see. Open his eyes so that he can see. I mean, really, who wants to turn down a deal like John 3.16? God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you that if you'll just believe in him, you'll have eternal life. I don't want that. That, that's too hard. I mean, really, who, who doesn't want that? Someone who can't see it. Someone who's been blinded. So, some, someone who, who, who doesn't have the ability to see it. And he was just starting to pray, God, give him the ability. Raise, raise the curtain. Let, let him be able to see that. And God did. And his uncle did. Over in Acts uh, chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in, in Philippi, and there's this, uh, there's this girl with a prophetic gift following them around. The problem is the prophetic gift is demonically inspired. And, uh, and what she's saying sounds okay. I mean, she's saying, these men are, are uh, from the Most High God. Listen to what they have to say. Uh, and you go, well, what's wrong with that? The source. God, God doesn't accept testimony from the wrong source because the issue then becomes, wow, you, you know some stuff, don't you? Yeah. What else do you have to tell me? So, uh, so Paul, it says that he finally became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And he did. He didn't speak to the girl. 
He spoke to the enemy. He spoke to what was going on behind him. Now, you know, I, we could have taken the message, I guess, in that direction today and go, well, this is, you know, this is how you cast out demons and this is how you do that. Let's talk about who. The, you know, the problem is, to be honest, you know, one, one, one session of teaching, uh, I, I would be kind of freaked out about what might end up getting cast out of what, you know, over the next couple of weeks by those who maybe would take it to, uh, to heart. But yeah, there, there is the authority to do that. But Paul didn't rebuke the girl. He, re, he rebuked the real source of the problem. People are not always the problem. They, they, there, are, there are times to get, you know, uh, to take some action. I guess probably the, the prime example would be Jesus casting the money changers out of the temple. But you know why he cast them out of the temple? He didn't cast them out of the temple because they were selling cookies in the foyer. He cast them out of the, cook, the, the, the temple because they were ripping people off. People had to bring their sacrifice. And when they'd come to bring their sacrifice, they'd bring a perfect lamb. But, the, but the, um, the, the priest that was in cahoots would go, no, that lamb's got a problem. You've got to buy your lamb over there. You know? They'd go over there and that lamb costs twice what a lamb should cost and isn't a perfect sacrifice anyway. And he couldn't buy that yet because he didn't have the right kind of money. So you've got to go over here and exchange your, your shekels for the right shekels. And, you know, our, our cousin Vinny over here, he, he'll, he'll exchange your coins for you, you know. Uh, so you want two shekels, huh? Well, that'll be four shekels. Four shekels cost too much. Look, I like you. Three shekels. You get your two shekels. You know, I mean, that's, that's what was going on. And Jesus goes, we're stopping that. But this is Jesus. This is, it still wasn't about those people weren't the enemy. This is, this is the same guy who, while nails were being driven into his hands, was going, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Those who are abused are the ones who tend to become abusers. Those who are wounded, fearful, are the ones who are most likely to attack. Those who feel insignificant, feel small, they're the ones most likely to boast, try and make you feel insignificant and small. Those who doubt themselves are the ones who most likely are going to doubt you. Those who reject the gospel who seem to come against it, been blinded, but they're not the real enemy. This, uh, this last week I've been rereading uh, Eugene Peterson's memoirs called The Pastor, and uh, it's rich. <laughs> uh, there's a chapter in there that I had remembered pretty well, but there was one thing I had not remembered too well, and I, I want to I read it to you briefly. Uh, but his, uh, the chapter was about his dad's work. His dad was a butcher. And, uh, uh, and when Eugene was a little boy, he'd, he'd go, to, go to the butcher shop with his dad. And, uh, and he'd wear his smock and, you know, and he'd, he'd uh, put meat in the grinder and stuff and then learn on, later on about all the, all the stuff. And uh, he, he, uh, he's saying, you know, that was cultivating my imagination. Uh, it was cultivating my pastoral imagination because, you know, I understood 
what the Levitical priesthood was about. I, I understood sacrifice. I understood uh, the, those sorts of things. In fact, he, uh, he, he said one time they had this pastor come to their church who specially was teaching on the Levitical priesthood and sacrifices and stuff. And he said, you know, for a week or two, I thought it was pretty good. And then I realized he doesn't know anything about killing animals. He's never done it. Yeah. But his dad and, and mom both were very strong believers. And his dad's shop, uh, his dad's shop was, uh, it was a small town in uh, Montana. And, and I think it was probably the only butcher shop there. And uh, people came in uh, from all walks of life. And this is, what, this is what he has to say. He gave people dignity by the tone and manner of his greeting. Everyone felt welcome. Two blocks away on a side street, there was a brothel. There was always a good bit of talk on the street uh, about the whores and the cat house and the red light district and, and that it was a blight on the street, but not in our place. When these women entered our premises, they were treated with the dignity of their Christian names. I remember three of them, Mary, Grace, Veronica. When they left with their purchases, there were no gossipy, was no gossipy moralism trailing in their wake. I'm quite sure now that the way I as a pastor came to understand congregation had its beginnings in the congregational atmosphere of our butcher shop. Congregation is composed of people who upon entering a church leave behind what people on the street name or call them. A church can never be reduced to a place where goods and services are exchanged. It must be a place where a person, it, it must never be a place where a person is labeled. Because once you label them, you remove their humanity. Enemy is a label. It can never be a place where gossip is perpetuated. Before anything else, it is a place where a person is named and greeted, whether implicitly or explicitly, in Jesus' name. A place where dignity is conferred. Christ came to confer dignity, life upon us. We did our worst we did the most we could to humiliate and shame him. It didn't work. He took the most shameful thing we could think of and turned it into a, an icon of dignity and glory. People are not the enemy. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy, but we can't fight him in our own strength. But first of all, we have to recognize it's not the people. It's not the people. Would those who are going to serve at the table come forward at this time? And I suspect, and let me just, you know, I don't want to, I can't do the Holy Spirit's job, okay? The Holy Spirit's the only one who can do this. But I suspect if you'll let him the Holy Spirit will point out to you some people in your life that you've been thinking of as the enemy. And hopefully today 
can turn some things around about the way you're approaching that. Uh, this is a, a table of grace, table of the Lord. Uh, it's an open communion. You don't have to belong to this church. If you belong to Christ, you're welcome at this table. And come expecting grace. If you have anything going on in your life that is wrong, that is messed up, that you're struggling with, you need grace. And it's available.